following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it is Wednesday on Jay and Keith, and we're going to be talking a lot of football. We're also going to be talking. Say what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Say, 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 say what? Say, 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 I was going to make something more elaborate. I was going to make a more elaborate open for Say What, but you just seem to have so much fun with that. I think I'm going to leave it as is. I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Say What? Yeah, I'm, I didn't say anything. Sorry. Say What? Okay. All right. Uh, so we're going to do Say What, um, and I promise I won't be um, – Hitting the bumper as much? Well, no, I'm not. I'm probably going to hit the bumper. I don't know what I'm lying. Uh, we will hit be bump- hitting yes, the bumper. Yes, we're going to be hitting. Going to be get, get, going to be hitting the bumper. We're going to be talking. Say what? A little fun segment we'll be doing there. Uh, but first up, right? Uh, different type of fun segment. Yes, we're going to talk about conference realignment. And uh, Jay, we're going to talk about our fan base's favorite team. Mm. You know what that is? Fan base. They just. Everybody in, in Buccaneer Nation just loves this team. They love them so much. You know what I'm talking about? Is it is it a team? It's, it's not the C word. Otherwise, you would have led differently. With no, that. probably so, not. No, it's not. I'm going to go with a possible team that could be moving leagues that yeah. broke a couple days ago. Yeah. Okay. Kennesaw State. The Owls. The Owls of Kennesaw State. Uh, a team for whom most Buck fans have no love lost. Reports have been uh, coming out that the Owls are preparing to join, pending some legal maneuvers, legislative maneuvering that has to happen in Georgia for teams to reclassify. Uh, they are getting ready to join Conference USA. I got a lot of questions about that. Just... And I know we're going to have a guest. First of all, how dare you? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I just, <laughs> I've seen the facilities. Uh-huh. Not great. Now, the soccer stadium they converted to football. They've done what they could, and that's not bad. Yeah, I mean, for an FCS cool. stadium, it's really high quality. It's really well done. It, uh, it's going to take some work to expand that to an FBS stadium. But most stadiums are built these days to be expanded at some point. Unless you're Charlotte. Which, Unless you're Charlotte, which oh, was boy. which was the only thing we learned from Charlotte was, hey, we did this wrong. <laughs> so uh, the visit to Charlotte was at least fruitful in the fact that we were able to change, you know, uh, plans and how we built so that, as Keith said, you could build onto it later. Right. Uh, the suites they did were terrible. There was a lot of things Charlotte just was open about, and like, look, hey, you know, we didn't know, we didn't know, we got somebody to come build, and they were enthralled with all this brick and this and that, and then. Really what we've discovered is we're kind of locked into this and it's going to cost a lot of money if we ever want to expand and or try to upgrade any of the amenities, uh, boxes, suites, stuff like that. So that being said, Kennesaw State does have the ability to do that. Yes. Baseball has been a little bit of bread and butter for It has them. been pretty good. I yeah. mean, you're right there and, you know, Cobb, right outside Cobb County and you can get all the Atlanta, you know, or uh, metro area Atlanta kids. Mm-hmm. They've had plenty of first-round draft picks in baseball, so it's been a solid program. Softball's not bad. And their men's basketball team has never been it's above been 500 brutal. in Division One. It's been brutal. And the arena is awful. So yeah, I'm it's, very it's... shocked. I know a lot of teams, a lot of leagues, not teams, a lot of uh, leagues are so enamored with the Atlanta market. But let mm-hmm. me tell you, as a team in ETSU that was there, the Atlanta market has zero idea about Kennesaw State. Yeah. It is not making they the AJC top well. seven sports page. The only reason that you would build for markets is to make it easier for your coaches to recruit markets. And I think that is a valid course of action. If you're a mid-major, it's like, we want to add a program that is inside the Charlotte Metro so that it makes our coaches' lives easier when they go recruit the Charlotte Metro. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. But so many people get enamored with TV deals and brand presence and all this stuff, and none of it amounts to anything ever. This Conference USA has already been through that once, 
and they failed. They tried to build based on markets, based on you know what would get the most television eyeballs for them, thinking that would be the big TV deal. And the Sun Belt got the last laugh because the Sun Belt got the teams in small towns that everybody actually wants to watch. I, so my biggest argument when they would say that, and they said, "Well, we know we're in Nashville, we're in Jacksonville." Well, there's no media coverage. Mm-hmm. And then I, I would venture to say, if you went and checked the roster. Of most of the teams, unless you've got some kids that stay local with that team. Probably not getting kids out of those markets. I I, I very rarely – I mean, for ETSU to get somebody from Tennessee, okay, fine. And you can get them from Nashville area, you know, it's in-state. Yes, I could see that. Not a lot of Jacksonville kids came to ETSU. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of Atlanta kids came to ETSU. Right. Not a lot of Fort Myers, you know, Tampa, St. Pete. You know, we right. had a couple Tampas, but that's two hours north. So I don't really think that that was what they were intending to do. Who were um, the Tampa? Was Isaiah Brown, was he from Tampa? He was Miami. He was Miami. Uh, Salazzo. Salazzo was Tampa. Uh, James Anthony was Tampa as well. Yeah. Um, so there was a couple uh, that came through there. But in reality, I mean, they're just, you know, Sheldon Cooley was around there. I mean, it's just a lot. That it didn't bring in again. That's two hours north. That's not necessarily the right. The, the bogus. So I, I just. But I will say, I mean, part to my point, it's easier to recruit those places when you have road trips there, and instead of having to fly completely independent of the team, you're already flying down there. You take a rental car. You go two hours north to watch a kid play. Uh, it's it's different from having to book that trip separately or hope they come through with a travel team and all those other things. So there is some validity to that, but. If you're not getting media coverage, then you don't need to build based on media markets. You build based on the best teams that you can get in your league. And CUSA kind of did that with Sam Houston, right? And Jacksonville State. Those teams, facilities-wise, I don't know that they were ready either. But they were teams that had something they could bank on in terms of success, in terms of fan support. Uh, Kennesaw has had some success on the football field, uh, but it's not necessarily translated into a big brand. Whereas Jacksonville State, I think people are a little more familiar with the Gamecocks. People are certainly familiar with Sam Houston after their spring national title run and and everything that went into that. So uh, there was there was some cachet there that maybe wasn't even there you know ten years ago with those schools. While Jacksonville State was trying, beating down the door, trying to get into the Sun Belt and didn't get in. Eastern Kentucky tried to do the same thing. They still can't go FBS so because they can't get an invite. So I don't know. It's an, it's an inscrutable inner machination. I'm not crazy about it. But I do know somebody who knows those inner machinations very well. Good friend of mine in Chicago. Matt Brown is the publisher of Extra Points. And I got the chance to catch up with Matt earlier today. Matt, it's so good to talk with you. I mean, I got the chance to get to know you over the course of your time in, uh, or my time in Fargo and your time uh, initially at SB Nation, Banner Society, and now with this venture, Extra Points, that you've done. This is what year, I think, three or four of this project. Uh, how is the newsletter business treating you um, as uh, this this thing continues to grow into a, a really valued piece of the college media space? Yeah, we're, we're, we're doing this now for about two and a half years. We're coming up on the year mark as being a part of the, the D1 ticker family. Mm-hmm. It's been a real blessing because I know that you know, digital media is a really tough space. I know people's budgets are tighter and not everybody has the money to be able to support another subscription. Uh, but it's grown um, you know, far, far stronger and far faster than I anticipated, right? Like, it, you know, it gives me a decent living. And uh, we're really excited about the classroom offering component to this. You know, I think one of the most gratifying parts of, of Extra Points has been that this is now used as a textbook for a lot of sports management and sports business and people studying college athletics. Uh, and we think that that has room to grow in a lot of different ways. So this is something that doesn't just help the, uh, the, the media folks. It doesn't just help administrators or degenerate nerds, but hopefully other people that are looking at getting into this world uh, can, can benefit from what we're building here. 
No doubt. And in, in you, I have found a kindred spirit as a realignment degenerate. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the shock and horror of what's happening to college athletics being processed through spreadsheets and just trying to stay on top of it as much as you can consume as much information about it as you can. We've talked at length. You and I have about conference USA in the past, and now Kennesaw state yeah. appears to be on track to join that conference that Liberty seems to have saved from the brink of oblivion. I know there was a meeting of the University of Georgia System Board of Regents this morning to discuss that. What can you tell us about where Kennesaw State is in the process and and how CUSA came to select a team from the Georgia suburbs or Atlanta suburbs? Sure. So yeah. So I, we can I can address the the latter part there first. Might be a little bit easier, right? Um, one of the, the struggles with Conference USA right now is that it, it doesn't have a clearly defined geographic center or, or footprint, right? It extends from Virginia to South Florida, now to West Texas. Um, and what, what bringing Kennesaw brings, even independent of their athletic department, is you get something that's close to the midpoint. It's close to uh, a gigantic you know, airport hub, so it's, it's, it's easy to get to. It might make uh, division structures a little bit easier. And it's, it's, a, it's an important market that you want to be in for football, right? Like the, the, the Georgia suburbs, the Atlanta suburbs are a critical place to get football talent, to go get basketball talent. And also, as you're approaching conversations with media partners, it, it's a metro that you'd like to have a presence in, given that a lot of Conference USA schools right now are not in major metropolitan areas. There's some sponsorship component. You add that to the fact that Kennesaw is unique among current FCS institutions, and that's huge. It's got over 40,000 students, yeah. the second largest university in, in the state, and it's in an area that's growing really quickly. And, and honestly, being in the suburbs might have an advantage because there's already two FBS institutions downtown, but there's hundreds of thousands of people that live outside the Outer Belt that, that may want a, an FBS college football entertainment option. So you have that, and they've been good, mm -hmm. which is also something that's unusual for some of these teams that are reclassifying. I know Kennesaw's struggling a little bit this year, but despite being a pretty young program, you have a, a new stadium, and they've made the playoffs four times and won a game every time. They've won three conference titles. They've been above 500 just about every year. You factor all of those things together, you can definitely see why this would be a, a very attractive component a very attractive institution for what Conference USA is trying to become. I just think about 10 years ago, Conference USA went after the Houston market. They went after the Miami market. They went after uh, markets, 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 and it didn't work. And the Sun Belt went for legacy yeah. programs, App State, Georgia Southern, uh, Coastal Carolina, which is Myrtle Beach-ish, um, you know, programs that were yeah. good, had Conway. success. Yeah. Conway, yeah. Um, those programs took off at this level, and now the Sun Belt is more valuable as a TV property because they have games that get people talking. I hear stuff like Western yeah. Kentucky doesn't want to be in a conference with EKU. Stephen F. Austin isn't ready to move up and join Sam Houston. And it almost feels like CUSA maybe hasn't learned its lesson from the last time around. You know, I, 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 would, I would agree with you if Kennesaw sucked. Right. If sure. you were just adding an urban school for the sake of adding an urban school, which and that was part of the problem, I would say, yeah, that, that's an issue. And you can point to the fact that, hey, this is a stadium that's definitely going to need some significant upgrades to it. it it's new, but it's under 9,000 capacity, and it's going to have to probably more than double that uh, to, to be FBS grade. Uh, it's, it's, it's a school that's, quite frankly, really bad at basketball, which is something yes. that's been a, a, a priority for Conference USA. But they have the on-the-field success, and I think it's easier – to draw a through line to where Kennesaw becomes something different than what it is right now, than it might be for some of these other FCS programs, right? Um, you know, we know that this wasn't the first choice because Conference USA added a bunch of other schools from from uh, from CUSA, I mean, from the FCS first, right? They went after Sam Houston, they went after Jacksonville State. Um, I don't look at their expansion strategy, especially knowing the other schools that they've talked to, as urban centric. Matt Brown of Extra Points is our guest on the Jay and Keith show. And uh, Matt, um, as, if we, we talk about that process and uh, what Kennesaw means to CUSA, getting to 10 was something that we all kind of thought would be a priority for them, that they would find a team somewhere to be a 10th. But I mentioned EKU and the friction with WKU. Stephen F. Austin's name has come up. Tarleton State has been a name that's come up a lot. Do you get the sense from people you've talked to that CUSA is already thinking about going beyond 10, or do they want to sit tight for a little while and see how the D1 Constitution process we've been talking about for over a year plays out? Yeah. 
I think that based on what I have heard, they, 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 there's there's no there's no reason to to be at ten versus twelve unless you just want to wait and see uh, what what develops uh, to get from there, right? I, I think if there were three other Kennesaw states, um, people the schools that had you know twenty eight thirty million dollar athletic budgets and and robust growing enrollment and had some record of success, I think Conference USA would already work to get that done. Mm-hmm. But that's not what this field is, and you have several FCS programs that have expressed interest, but you know like you said. There, there are concerns. And, and to be fair about Eastern, you know, and, and this was a, a finalist for a Sunbelt spot not that long ago, right. the other concern that I've heard people within this conference raise is, boy, that football stadium is going to need a lot of work. Like, maybe tear it down. Uh, or or, or there, there's, there's some facility components on the stadium side that, that just aren't ready. Um, Stephen F. Austin doesn't have a student fee. They, their, their athletic budget is not where they, they'd like it to be yet, and this was not the initial timetable they thought about reclassifying and the money to Western Kentucky pre- uh, president's point, you know, raised this earlier is, you know, we're looking for stability and it's one thing to have the potential. It's one thing to say that you want to ramp up to an FBS caliber budget or FBS caliber facilities. It's another thing to have it. Mm-hmm. So could they get to, could they move to 12 by the end of this year? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's possible. They've definitely taken multiple meetings with some of these places. I think it is more likely that they wait a little bit, and see who actually put shovels in the ground, what does the transformation committee look like, and, and how prepared are some of these FCS places to have $30 million athletic budgets in the near future. It's not like if you don't take Tarleton now that you're not going to be able to get Tarleton in two years. Right. Very true. And, and Tarleton is a team that's uh, in the process of still transitioning up from Division Two, already talking about wanting to yep. go – uh, to FBS. So they've got a little bit of time where they can stew and, and like you said, ramp up to um, where they ultimately want to be. How stable is the ASUN right now? Because a lot of these schools joined with the idea that this would either be a proving ground for FBS, that maybe the conference would eventually go to FBS in some form or fashion, uh, or at the very least that they were forming a high-end FCS league with other schools. And now Jacksonville State's gone and Kennesaw State's gone and you know Eastern Kentucky burned a lot of bridges in the OVC to do this. Austin P, North Alabama, those other schools. How stable do we think the A-Sun is um, as its football championship aspirations now kind of hinge on the whack, having enough teams to house the remaining schools in the A-Sun sponsoring football? Yeah, and that's a challenge too because, quite frankly, I think the whack uh, itself is, uh, is, is facing some potential instability for multiple fronts, you know, not just from the Southlands continuing to – you know, be in the ear of some of these Texas schools, potentially the A-Sun trying to, to move some of the Texas schools into, into their banner. But also, you know, there are schools that don't sponsor football uh, in the WAC that could potentially move elsewhere. You know, it, 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 it's not crazy that Grand Canyon could join the West Coast Conference that is, is uh, having conversations about replacing BYU or that Seattle might, might move in that direction or somebody else. And if you lose, I think, one of these core basketball institutions – that might be what causes a domino effect. The struggle for both the ASUN and the WAC, I think, is that there's not really um, an out-of-the-box opportunity to add other schools at the level that you want to replace people that might leave, right? The, the, the Division II schools within the ASUN's footprint that sponsor football have mostly indicated they're not interested. There's a few that don't sponsor football that, that, that could be and have had some conversations, and it's the, the same situation for the WAC. So as of right this second, if Kennesaw does in fact leave and make that process official at the end of this week or early next week, that um, you still have enough FCS teams to run the WAC A-Sun Challenge, but you really can't if you lose anybody else. And there's a, there are a lot of forces that could push those dominoes over. Matt, uh, as I, I obviously here in SoCon country, we have some new neighbors. The CAA moved in a few years back with uh, picking up Elon. No one in the league was really sad to see them go. Um, but now North Carolina A&T and Campbell uh, have, are, are committed to join the CAA in football in the near future. It's like, okay, haha, very funny. Uh, we got some new neighbors down here. Why has the CAA been so aggressive in its expansion when, I mean, especially thinking about the basketball side where that league takes a lot of pride in being good, um, there's only one automatic bid to go around for that, whatever, 14, 16 schools. Sure. But you also, I mean, you also have to do whatever it takes to keep everybody else happy, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I've written about this before, that 
Uh, it's not exactly a state secret that, that last year and before then, a, a lot of conference, uh, a lot of colonial athletic schools were taking meetings and, and kind of letting people know that, that they could be persuaded to join somewhere else. There, there may only be one auto bid, but colonial basketball now is not what it was 15 years ago. Right. Um, it's not a premier elite mid-major league. It's not a, it's not a bad one, but it, it's not in a position to compete for auto bids. So if you need to expand and maybe expand very aggressively – to allow you to do divisional play, to allow you to do some pod travel because you already have a pretty expansive footprint and keep everybody together for football, that might be worth it, even if that maybe dilutes what the the basketball share looks like. Mm -hmm. That may be a defensible risk too because there's also no guarantee that college basketball revenue distribution, the automatic bid system, the way that revenue is shared, will remain the same post-transformation committee or, or post in the next couple of years. So, if, if, if moving into the South makes things easier to keep your Southern wing, if that it, it, it increases the stability of your football product, completely understand why they did it. And I say that to kind of lead into the proposals or the chatter that college sports postseasons might be about to expand. I know you just talked to some college baseball people on extra points um, for a story on this, but uh, the suggestion that we could be seeing up to 25% of the Division One level in given uh, postseasons seems like a pretty aggressive ramp up. ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips said it's a Rubik's Cube times two, but it's but it is doable logistically. Um, what are you hearing about that, and how do you think that could affect certain conference realignment decisions where maybe suddenly mid-major leagues have a lot more access to at-large bids because there are way more at-large bids to go around? Yeah, I... The, the second question there, I mean, the, the devil there really is in the detail. Sure. So I, I can share that you know, over the summer and even, you know, coming into to the winter, you know, coming out of the NCAA convention, I think you and I have even talked about it. There was a lot of chatter among ADs that there could be big changes coming to the tournament, mm-hmm. not just potential expansion, but also potential alteration of the automatic bid system to where uh, maybe the auto bid uh, low major teams have to play against each other before they get into the tournament or, or maybe – uh, the, the power conferences consolidate more of that power and more of that access because it's about money. I think that the, the general tenor of those conversations has shifted, I think, in part because of pushback over the past couple of months. I think it is more likely than not that every league will still have some automatic access to the tournament. But I would expect some kind of basketball expansion. Uh, 72 is probably more likely than something like 80 or 90. But, you know, you know to, to think about it this way, we moved to the 64-team system. We've, we've tweaked it a, a couple of times since then in, like, the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And we've added 50-plus teams to Division One since then, and the access hasn't gone up proportionally, uh, whether in, in terms of automatic bids or, 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 or auto bids. So I can, I can understand why you'd at least think about this. Uh, where you may see some bigger changes, honestly, may be in some of these other sports. And I was surprised from talking to not just Power 5 commissioners but ADs and some coaches about the interest level and really re-examining how almost all of these tournaments are run uh, to the point where you might see some, some, some real expansion. Or, uh, that's, uh, I think that's possible for baseball, softball, volleyball, less so for lacrosse or hockey because you're kind of already at that 25% threshold, right. but also how you pick those teams. A lot of sports still use the RPI, and nobody likes it. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, not everybody does the, the full seating system like we do for college basketball. Maybe that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. There's, there's very few things in general in college sports, from money to what it means to be Division One school to realignment to any of these things that I think are sacred cows that can't be reexamined and retouched. And how we do the postseason is just one of those things. Yeah, I, I know college hockey uses the pairwise system, which uh, I always – it seemed to me yeah. that the selection committee was pretty cut and dried. Like, if you're, you know, not an AQ and you're in the top whatever in the pairwise, we're going to put you in as an at-large. Uh, and that, that seemed like a pretty straightforward system. Everybody knows what they need to do in a given moment to yep. get into the postseason. You talked to Wofford baseball head coach uh, Todd Interdonato um, about expanding the baseball postseason well, what did he have to say? What's, what was your what was the the takeaway for you from that conversation? Because I do think an expanded college baseball postseason would benefit uh, at least one team uh, in the Southern Conference in a given year. It's a pretty strong baseball league. Yeah, absolutely right. And and part of the reason I wanted to talk to Todd was because Wofford's been just outside of the postseason for two years in a row, like yeah. perennially successful team, and and you know breaks didn't go the right way. 
Uh, I've reached out to you know, people at, a, at similar programs. I try to talk to NC State. I try to talk to people at the Big West. I talk to a bunch of other administrators, some on the record, some not in that story. Uh, you know, what, what, what Todd told me was like, look, when you talk to an AD, you talk to anybody in college sports, talk to a commissioner, what's important to you um, as we run this enterprise, they usually say the, the student experience, the athlete experience, right? When you talk to athletes about what are, what are some of the most memorable, important experiences you had as a college athlete, you often hear about postseason experiences. So, you know, in, in, in the Silicon, right, like everybody makes the baseball tournament. So even if your team stinks, you get to have some kind of postseason experience. But participating in the baseball national tournament is a different thing. So, you know, what, what Todd's saying, and, and this is even at that self-interested, I've heard this from people that wouldn't be, What's the harm in expanding that access to let more athletes have that kind of experience? Even if the experience ends up being a little bit different, if Division One has grown, if we can do this in a way that doesn't hurt class time or preparation, then that sounds like something that we should do. Yeah. There's the, the other thing, though, and this came up a lot in baseball and it's come up in volleyball, too, is beyond just expanding the tournament, we got to talk about how we pick who gets to be in the tournament. we got to talk about that RPI. we got to talk about other metrics. we got to talk about seeding because I don't think – you know, a lot of mid-major people want, hey, let's go add on an extra 16 teams and they're all going to be in the SEC or the ACC, you know? Absolutely. I don't think anybody wants that. But uh, unfortunately, it looks like the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, uh, you know, some of these leagues could be expanding by 16 teams by the time we get to expanded postseasons. Yeah. Before we let you go, uh, anything, any read on the Pac-12 and what that's going to look like uh, are Oregon and Washington in it for the long haul is the, how, how large does the big 10 loom and their potential moves over the future of uh, that conference out West? It is the a complete hundred percent linchpin for any realignment happening right now at the power five level. The Pac-12 can't get any media deal done without their institution signing some kind of GOR agreement, grant of rights agreement, likely for the next six to eight years. And nobody, no matter how good that deal is, and we have an idea about how good it's going to be, uh, Oregon or Washington is going to sign that if they think there is a legitimate chance that they could get a Big Ten invitation in the near future. I know those schools have had talks uh, with people in the Big Ten through television consultants and through their attorneys. Uh, and I know that, uh, you know, or I'd rather, you know, based on the best information I've been told, there's not a consensus among Big Ten leaders about whether you should go to 20, whether you should go to 20 only under certain financial benchmarks, or whether you should wait for a little bit, uh, even if you make a little bit less money by waiting because you preserve political peace and, and you get more time to onboard and, and, and implement USC and UCLA. Uh, I would imagine there's going to be some kind of resolution before the end of football season because the Pac-12 can't go into 2023 without any kind of television deal. Um, and, and, and that will be the signal of, of how serious any of this stuff is and, and which factions within the Big Ten are successful. But the, Pac the Big 12 and the Pac-10 and, and everybody else can't really do anything until they figure out what the Big Ten is going to do. Matt Brown is the publisher of Extra Points. You can find it online, extrapointsmb.com. Terrific newsletter, uh, which does a lot of inside stuff with the business of college sports. If you're looking for realignment, name, image, and likeness, those sorts of things, uh, Matt is a, a fantastic resource for the entire college sports community and uh, so pleased to have him on the show with us today. Matt, thanks for giving us some time. Really appreciate you, and we'll talk again soon. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah, great stuff with Matt there. Uh, just a brilliant conversationalist, first of all. Great writer and uh, somebody that is really plugged into the realignment sphere. So when we talked about it kind of on the front end, Kennesaw State obviously laid out the reasons there. Kennesaw State's had some level of success in FCS. Um, they are not necessarily the first team that, uh, that, that CUSA wanted uh, out, of, out of FCS to call them up, but... That's a team that's been okay. Justify it's justified. It's justifiable on, on their end, as opposed to getting a team that's just not won any any games at all at this level. You you go out and get teams that are whatever four and seven every year. That's a little bit different than than Kennesaw. That's one playoff games, not a lot of playoff games, but some playoff games. I mean, this is just not your dad's conference USA, and I know it all started sort of when the the Big East kind of went out, and there was a bunch of other leagues that were trying to form a league and Conference USA was one of those leagues where you're like, oh, you know, look look at these teams. Let's see who they got. It, 
kind of that other, you know, when they talk about the, the, the six and then, you know, then the American Conference came about, then some realignment. Then you started to see the Power Fives really start gobbling up and, and yeah. getting more teams, whether it was from other Power Fives or bringing people up to Power Fives, and then the seismic shift, and then Conference USA, which everyone kind of had the pipe dream to get in on. I mean, Appalachian State was pretty open about it at one point. That was the league. You know, they were trying to get in. And now it's completely flipped. Yeah, now everyone would rather be in the Sun Belt, the traditional college town teams where you're not, you know, going from um, – you know, uh, what was that from Boone to uh, Louisiana, you know, North Texas, some of those schools they were going to. So it's a little more back to being re- regionalized. But, I mean, you're looking at Texas San Antonio, Florida National, Charlotte, mm-hmm. UAB, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee, Louisiana, Te- Ruston, Louisiana. That's what I couldn't think of. Yep. North Texas, Rice. Which is leaving. Which Florida is leaving. Atlantic. And they're leaving. So – all, all yes, all of those. Uh, I mean, just they're hemorrhaging. They're having to reach. The conference nearly came apart, and and they kind of made the um, I I call it almost a deal with the devil with Liberty, right? Because not that long ago, Liberty offered to write a twenty million dollar check to get into the conference, and the conference told them no thanks. And now, um, CUSA's tune has changed now that the conference is on the brink of collapse, and. That requires taking the best teams that you can find. And I, I certainly think that, you know, of, of teams that see themselves as, as FBS institutions, that's something that Kennesaw has aspired to for over a decade. The school is huge. You don't have to charge a huge athletic fee to get a lot of money out of the student body to help support it. So I, it's, it's an interesting move. I don't know that it's going to work for Kennesaw from a competitive standpoint. But I understand why Conference USA did it. I understand why Kennesaw did it. And uh, unfortunately, it's one less good non-conference opponent in this part of the country for SOCON schools. But that, that's kind of what I look at here. The A-Sun has Eastern Kentucky, North Alabama, Austin P teams that join specifically for football. Some of those teams burned some bridges to join the A-Sun thinking it was going to be a thing. And now that football championship is DOA. It's done. So where did they go next? So the biggest conversation for that was Liberty because Liberty had been turned down by everybody. They sold. Yeah. From people I talked to, they sold everybody like, hey, you come to this A-Sun League and all the ones that wanted to make the jump up, Central Arkansas, Jacksonville State, Eastern Kentucky, all the teams that were openly trying to get FBS. Mm-hmm. And, hey, we're in a couple years when we get to establish, we're going to fund the FBS conference. You know, we're going to eat the $20 million, everybody kick in, but we'll, we'll fund most of it to get us all there. Yep. And then all of a sudden, Liberty left ship. And, and this is why when, when people kept asking me about Chattanooga, and they offered Chattanooga three different times. Chattanooga, a couple of people called down here. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk nice about Chattanooga because, honestly, this is where – you could work together. And they said, well, what's the issue? And I said, you tell me one thing the A-Sun has started. And I like Ted Gumbart and John the Baptist and or John Roberts, everybody else that's down there working with well. Matt Wilson, who's there for years, good working relationship. I've done side work for them. I'm not spewing any hate on them, but they were ultimately no stability for 25 years. It was a very years. transient league, yes. So it, – it, there was no way that you could sell Chattanooga, hey, you go there. And Chat was upset with the SOCON on a few other things, and it's simmered down. But they were upset enough that they were openly kind of looking. You know, mm-hmm. Conference USA had kind of floated some ideas amongst other teams, and then really the A-Sun. And they asked, and we were like, hey, you need to wait three to five years to see if this thing's going to go. And it didn't even take that. Yeah. And so that that's the – that's really where Liberty's money, mm-hmm. fool's gold, everybody went to go jump on in, mm-hmm. and then other teams have been able to find a landing spot from there. Some have not. Some are going to be in purgatory. Some, You know, again, I think the Southern Conference has been staunch, and I am going to, you know, take a shot here at our own league, but they have been staunch on we only want nine teams. We want the balanced eight-game schedule. Well – you keep doing that, and a couple teams go, you're going to be in the boat with the Big South and everybody else. Where yep. are you going to go when everybody else goes? The other thing is, is basketball-wise, I think 
there's you can make an argument to bring in a few more teams basketball Mm -hmm. you can bring in a few teams football the reason why some of these leagues get multi teams in that don't that have more than nine teams is because some of their records are gaudy and they don't play each other Mm -hmm. and there's not a conference championship game so my argument was well if you brought in three or four teams and you know you got five teams with only one or two losses and they got nine you know wins it's going to be tough to look at all those teams. You could get more teams in the playoffs. Look at the look at the Missouri Valley Football Conference. They added Murray State. Murray State's not going to win that conference. Murray State might not finish 500 in that conference in the next decade. But they're in the Missouri Valley Football Conference, and that's going to be charted as a win in the Missouri Valley Football Conference for Southern Illinois or Indiana State or Youngstown State or whatever team that is right around the cut line that needs to go 5-3 and three in the league to get in. That's going to get him in. So I'm with you. I would love to see the Southern Conference be aggressive and pursue opportunities because the leagues that probably were the biggest threat to your position in the Southeast are coming apart. So now is the chance to take the good pieces of what's left of that boat that is on fire in the harbor and stitch them onto your own and make your own boat stronger. I, I mean, Campbell going to CAA just adds another one. There's like 14 teams now in the CAA. And Campbell and North Carolina A&T both going, yeah. And that's that's just a matter of, I think there were some schools in the CAA. You know, there were rumblings about William and Mary joining the Patriot League at one point. And, and they were very complimentary and didn't certainly didn't rule it out. I think a lot of those Southern ads were to keep some of those other Southern schools happy. College of Charleston and Elon, oh, Bill and Mary, Richmond. That's because the only conversation Southern Conference had did involve William and Mary, Elon, Richmond, and College of Charleston. Richmond was going to be sort of the de facto football for College of Charleston. College of Charleston would play all the other sports, so they would work as a team, if you will. And then Elon, because North Carolina Greensboro was complaining about travel partners and lack of this, and they flirted with CAA. So the Southern Conference went up and said, well, we'll take the closest teams you got and dare you to go when we get the three closest teams basically in basketball to, to stay near, um, you know, stay near where they are. And then you're talking about, you know, 12-team basketball league, 13, you know, depending on what's going on. But that was some serious – flirtation but then when everything calmed down i think the southern conference kind of backed off because greensboro it was more i think southern conference answering greensboro's threat Mm -hmm. than really them wanting to uh, because they were talking about using some of the exit fees that they had saved up um even from davidson and just you know they've got that in the pot that they were talking about help waiving some fees basically hey we won't if you do your buyout then we won't make you pay an entrance fee but you would have to pay an exit fee on the way out to even try right. to you know entice those teams to go. and you know again i don't know why you wouldn't look that way because if you college charleston and i know folks that work there they're like there is no sense in us having to fly to boston and new york and philly and can't afford hotel rooms for all the soccers and the you know, volleyballs and all the sports that people don't think about. Basketball's got money. Basketball's going to be able to do it. All these other sports, it is ridiculous. Tennis, golf, hotel rooms for those teams, they are hemorrhaging money left and right. So College of Charleston desperately went out, but CA give them credit, right? They went out, they got more teams. Campbell now is going to be a closer team for them. There's just A&T is going to be closer. They're going to be able to make a trip to Greensboro with A&T, yeah. And then what do you do if you're the Big South? I mean – You've tried to bring in different people to keep you afloat. Now you're going to lose Campbell, North Carolina A&T. You only have four football teams left. You're already talking about an alliance with the OVC. The OVC has enough that they can kind of leverage that situation to their benefit where those Big South schools are just OVC football affiliates. Well, and If they want to. I'm not, I'm not sure they want to, but if they want to, they could. And I'll be curious to see how the A-Sun shakes out here in a little bit as well. I would be inclined to agree, and, and I think there are several schools that would be very good additions to leagues around the region in uh, in those conferences. So it's a fascinating world. Um, I don't expect anything from the Southern Conference because I think a lot of schools in the league are content with what they have, and what they have is not bad, but also if opportunity knocks – would love to see what that looks like. Yeah, I, other than we heard Chad a while ago flirt, and I think that's gone away. 
we know UNCG was very upset, but now West Miller isn't there, and that was a big pushing point for that. West Miller wanted to be in a high-profile basketball league. And where, the CAA is one bid, and now it's super cluttered, and I just I, – I don't know that I would do that now. Well, the, the big thing for UNCG is they're the only basketball school, and they feel like they're mm-hmm. the stepchild, and they get treated bad. I can understand. I can understand that perspective, but also I think that ship has kind of sailed. Uh, and UNCG – as much as, you know, there's no love lost with, with them, but they do, they are additive to this conference. Like, they are good for this conference. And as, you know, we're in a public school, like, we, we want to have more public schools in the SOCON. Um, they are a, a very, very valued member of this group, even if they are the one school that doesn't play football. I just, I don't know. I think there's a lot of merit to having that school in the league and, I think there's it's probably better for them that they don't play football because then everybody would get mad about having nine games instead of eight. Yeah, there's always that uh, private school, um, public school fight that they've always been having that, in, yes. in the Maintain Southern the Conference. Balance. They kind of pull and they go and they want to get perfect five-five. But the football blows my mind. It's, they refuse, refuse. They're like, ah, we, we got eight. Everybody plays everybody. It's Ron Robbins, true champion, true champion. We still have ties, still have everything else. They, Everybody could beat everybody. You, know, you could also go to nine games like the Southland used to do if you brought in another team. And then you just don't have to worry about scheduling the – you can schedule the bye game with an FBS opponent, and then you schedule uh, a decent non-conference opponent. If you're good enough. If not, and yeah. you know, if you're not going to be very good that year, schedule a win. Who cares? Yeah, and, if, <laughs> yeah, and you, you end up getting an extra data point where I mean, maybe you don't have to worry about what does a non-counter do to our postseason resume? It, it could change a lot. I, I think it would be. I think it would be useful. But I understand people's perspective in not wanting to explore it. Let's do say what you want to do. Say what? Say what? Does okay. that answer your question? Yes, it does. So say what? I play quotes or read quotes in some cases, and Jay reacts to those quotes. Let's start with a quote from our very own Buccaneer Sports Network broadcast, shall we? By the way, folks, I just got to let you guys know the Junior Hilltoppers, led by running back Rhett Sanders. Say, say Sanders. Holy cow. Sandos. Who? Who? Wow. You are Rhett fired. Sanders. You are fired. That's Deion Sanders. No, Rhett Sanders, who scored three times in a 20-14 to 14 win. The last one I saw on video there went about 80 yards, stiff-armed a guy about the 40, and took it to the house. So congratulations. They're undefeated. They'll be expected big winners in the playoffs. But, again, the Sandos. Rhett Sandoz, three touchdowns today and a 20-14 win over the Junior Vikings at Tennessee High. Yeah. Rhett Sanders. Would you like to know my reaction to that? Yeah. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Wow. Uh, that, you know, Mark was so excited. and He was stoked. He was, He really wanted to do it. And I was like, hey, man, you know, I appreciate saying something about my kid. But, you know, he said, I don't know, we get, we get a spot. I, I, I think I got to do it. Got to do it. I was like, all right. So we, there was a lull, and he kind of – Kind of elbowed me. He's like, yeah, I'm going to go. And then the first word out of his mouth is Sanders. Yeah. So are you kidding me? Yeah. You, I mean, the only thing worse for you to give me is Santos. I mean, I guess that would oh, be the only yeah. thing worse. I mean, at least we had Randy Sanders. We got Dick Sanders. We got Jay Sanders. Like, I can see how you forget the OS and go mm-hmm. with the er or the ers. We even call you Sander Claus sometimes, yeah, especially yeah. around the holidays. That, that throws people off, too. But yeah. the, the fact we had a Richard Sander, a Randy Sanders, and a Jay Sanders always threw people off because mm-hmm. they would throw – different variations of that so he got the d instead of the t because at least i have a d in my name and not a t but right. yes that was um i tried to fire him but then i realized he really couldn't go anywhere because he was in the booth he couldn't and, go anywhere and i was blocking and... the door because he had to get by me to go so and he's bigger than me yeah. to be honest with you he is he is a lot larger than you are yeah. he is yeah yeah and i don't take a punch very well so i'm good no i neither do i neither do i uh all right speaking of guys with better senses of humor and better uh photogenics than us how about uh, our next quote on say what I think the quarter zip, it's just, you know, it's got a good, a good, it's got to be a good fit. Can't be too tight. It's also the number one gift that Peyton and I give to each other is a quarter no. zip. So we don't only, you know, we don't only believe in it, but especially if I see an orange one, it's Tennessee orange, it's Bronco orange. It's like, I gotta, I gotta get it to him. I know I, I owe him a thank you gift for something. So I just kind of, you know, collect them and, and then send them when necessary. It's Eli Manning on Kevin Clark's Slow News Day podcast talking about quarter zips and giving Peyton Manning quarter zips. Do we think Peyton Manning can afford quarter zips? 
No, but they, it's obviously both in love with it's obviously zips? a bit. I mean, I right, love it has quarter to be zips. A, it's got, got to a quarter joke. Are it's awesome. it's got to be a joke at some point, right? As there is, is a, there's got to be a little bit of a running gag there for yeah. sure, for sure. But I love me some quarter zips, man. I think they're great. They're awesome. What? What? Do you have something against quarter zips? I don't think. Do I have quarter? I probably do. I have a. I've, I've like zip. free ETSU quarter zips. I'm not real sure I've ever bought a quarter zip on my own. When I was in North Dakota, probably seventy percent of my uh, upper body wardrobe was quarter zips. I'm actually wondering if I've ever paid attention to anything I bought if it was a quarter zip. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that I have. I don't know them that fashion. I mean, anymore. technically, this vest that I'm wearing right now is a quarter zip as well. It's a quarter zip vest. And you can the the amount. Oh, can't even. You can't even hear that, can you? Well, he's doing. Is that? Is that? His, okay. All right. Um, <laughs> well, that escalated again. I think ninety-seven percent of my wardrobe is stuff I've accumulated for free, rather that is uh, absolutely one hundred percent work-related, or I play a lot of golf tournaments and there's a lot of tea gifts and stuff. Yeah, and absolutely. So, um, or if I win any, you know, tournament things and you get pro shop bucks or something, I mm-hmm. go buy the free gear. But yeah, I'm pretty sure i i don't know that i've i have bought a quarter zip now i won't say my wife or somebody hasn't gifted me any but uh yeah i don't know that but i'm not i don't know i don't but that sounds like eli just somehow having a gag with peyton i believe that's exactly what it is and they probably have stuff that's like hidden in the quarter zips it's got it's good it's like there's some sort of code element or something like that but it's a really easy garment to wear you don't have to mess with buttons you don't have to worry about tucking it in you just throw it on Zip it up most of the way, and you're good to go. Okay, there's a lot. lot there's a lot of judgment in that face right now, Sandoz. I don't to, like where, where this is going. A lot to unpack here for uh, all Keith right. And his quarters. Speaking speaking of judgment, how about we all judge a uh, major league baseball pitcher? I'm not going to make any excuses. The you know I, I took the ball today and put us in a big hole right away, right off the bat. Um, you know they they came out swinging, and had a really good approach. Uh, and, Frankly, I just you know I just didn't do my job today. You know, the guys were counting on me to go out there and have a good start and keep it a close game, and I just let it uh, let it get out of the way too too quick. All right, so that's uh, Braves, right? That's Max Freed yep. after a uh, really really rocky outing in Game One against Philadelphia, uh, his shortest outing of the year, where he went three and a third, eight runs, six hits, or rather eight hits, six runs, four earned, a walk, two Ks. Uh, have we checked on Matt Wilgham and Robert Harper, the Braves fans that always seem to send me gifts about how bad the Cubs are. The Cubs have been bad forever. They won one. It can't hurt That's you. That's all I wanted. It can't hurt, I don't they can't care. hurt you anymore. I don't care. As we know, when June happens and baseball's over for me, I go watch Canadian football. I don't care about your Braves. <laughs> for those Braves fans, I, I don't hate you. I don't care. But, yes, I don't know if you might check. And then uh, was it um, – uh, Castellanos made the catch in the I believe so yeah to, to seal it up there yeah tough for Freed because you know pitching's been the Braves thing for like 30 years now it's been pitching that's how they do it to get shelled like that uh, particularly the only time he's been shelled this year but to own up on it right I mean I think that's the the one thing you like about pros and you like about your athletes he didn't go in there with a, a big excuse one way or another just very matter of factly here it was they were swinging I wasn't good Mm-hmm. There, he ate it and moved on. A lot, yeah. lot of respect to that. No, I, I, I do respect that. Now, what do you do different next time you come out? Uh, miss bats. That'd be nice. You know, or be, at least let them barrel them up if you don't miss them. It was some shots in that game. I mean, I had it yeah. kind of on uh, the second screen over there. When I got in watching some football. I did have it on for a minute, and it was already uh, – Phillies were up pretty good by the time I turned it on, so I didn't see yeah. the early part. Uh, here's one. This, this one's a written quote. <clears throat> quote looking for a new weekend hobby something not southeastern based if anyone has any ideas something low drama and relaxing preferably end quote from three-time nascar cup series champion and current team owner tony stewart whose team was just fined uh two hundred thousand dollars for manipulating the end result of a race at the charlotte roval on sunday cole custer uh, was deemed to have been an illegal pick for Chase Briscoe to gain positions, which allowed Briscoe to cement himself in the round of eight of the NASCAR playoffs. Mm. So this is on the heels of Stuart Haas Racing getting the number four car banhammered uh, by NASCAR R&D 
where crew chief Rodney Childers was fined $100,000 and suspended four races uh, after Kevin Harvick had been very outspoken against NASCAR. A lot of people thought that was suspicious. So what you're saying is team racing in NASCAR, no one saw this coming. They would, you know, try to help a guy who was in better standings mm-hmm. finish in a higher spot to help them get in the playoffs. Like this is a this is a news flash to NASCAR. So the total in the last two weeks, Stuart Haas Racing has been fined three hundred thousand dollars for two different team violations. That seems like a lot. Not so, for them, I guess, but Considering the margins right now on some of these NASCAR teams, I think Tony is serious about potentially wanting to get out of Cup. Tony's had a rough go of it um, last five, six years. Yeah, he started his own series. They kind of hoodooed him on the whole Eldora thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Man, that would be... And that would be catastrophic for Ford, let alone for NASCAR, if Tony Stewart's like, deuces... Because Gene Haas is not going to keep that team around. He's too busy trying to keep his F1 team afloat. Team orders, by the way, are uh, common and expected in Formula One. Hmm. I do not speak a lot of Formula One. Mm-hmm. I know there's a lot of movies out there about it. But, there are uh, a lot of movies about there. Yeah. Out there, uh, I remember Al Hunter Jr. was good. Is he still around? That was IndyCar. Oh, but yes, eh. he was very eh. good. There are multiple uh, cars of his in the IndyCar Museum at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's do uh, some hot mic action, shall we? Hot Ooh. mic. Temple will have a chance to tie on the power play with Ryan Carpenter going to the box. They took the lead on their own power play. Panarin, Zabanajad, the one-time rocket. It's 2-1 New York. No! That's where it cuts to commercial. That is uh, Sean McDonough and Ray Ferraro. Uh, Sean McDonough caught on a hot mic giving play-by-play of Anthony Rizzo's home run in the Yankees' win over Cleveland last night. Why they thought they were clear to commercial. Sean does love baseball. And he apparently loves hot mics. This is the second time it's happened to him this year. Well, the, the, the first one was somebody was rolling on the B-roll. They were actually at break, but somebody, uh, I think, who dude him and Todd Blackledge because... Yeah, probably. That, that that one was a bit more... I know Tennessee fans don't hear it, but there's a lot of chatter when you go... And when you're a broadcaster and you don't have a dog in the fight, you want solid games and to defend Sean there a little bit. Absolutely. You know, if you hear it in a vacuum, yes, you should be upset, and I get that, but they're not pulling... They weren't pulling for Tennessee Lou. They wanted the ending to be better because they were in an overtime game. Blackledge flat out said that Pitt was pedestrian on offense. Uh, you know, again, that's one of those things like where you're clear. And they were at a break. That was one of those where somebody behind the scenes who do them and uh, should be fired and, uh, you know. Or and probably yelled at. I don't know if fired, but just, you know, put the fear of the, the good Lord into I mean, them. Uh, the I good mean, Lord being the Disney corporate overlords in at, this case. At some point, depending on how that went, and that one was tame, but that could cost somebody a livelihood. It could. With you trying to prove whatever but it is you were trying to do. So. Sean McDonough, very clearly, the mic is always hot. I'm right? okay with that. Didn't do anything outlandish. That one was honestly kind of funny and endearing because yes, I, we uh, were also flipping back and forth between that game and the Rangers lightning last night. I mean, again, at some point during the ETSU Robert Morris game, I gave live updates of a I don't remember what Southern Conference game it was, uh, but I was giving, I think maybe it was Furman Sanford. I was just giving more live updates on that than I was uh-huh. the game I was actually supposed to be calling. So I'm fine with that. Yeah. I love a live look in with something that had to do with what you're supposed to be doing for a job. No doubt. Here's another one, another, another written one. Quote, it's a Rubik's Cube times two, end quote, from ACC Commissioner Jim Phillips on the logistics of expanding postseasons for Olympic sports. Said that uh, expanding those tournaments is doable, and would not water down the events in the event they expanded the tournament fields, but it is very complex. Yes, I would assume the extra monies involved to put that on, even for the teams to go, like because you know the NCAA doesn't want to kick in money in those sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would make sense. Then we know they don't like to make sense. So basketball, they football, like to make dollars. They do, and basketball, football, baseball, those in-year tournament things, those produce dollars Mm -hmm. some of the other sports don't so i think that's going to be the biggest issue is sounds great but is the conference footing some of that bills it just on the individual teams well here's here's the other thing is there is a general belief and understanding that the ncaa is about to take the women's basketball championship to market as a standalone property previously it has sold all of its non-men's basketball championships including the fcs playoffs 
to ESPN as a package deal for a lump sum amount of money. If you do what you're thinking about doing with women's hoops with all of your tournaments and let them all or let some of them float like baseball, softball, and let them see what the market fetches, uh, then you could potentially expand those fields based on the amount of revenue they're able to bring in up to 25% of all Division One schools sponsoring those sports. Yeah, I'd have to see the number. I, I know softball has had a boom the last couple of years in their it's numbers. It's been huge. Volleyball is yeah. expand, has just exploded yeah. as well. Yeah, they're way ahead of where they were 10 years ago. It's just night and day. You know, and, and maybe they strategically roll that out with let's start women's basketball, let's start baseball, softball. Maybe do it that way because I still think it's a hard sell on lacrosse. You know, soccer's still not. Where yeah, with it needs lacrosse, you're almost at 25% anyway, so I don't really know that you need to expand it. Uh, same with hockey. You don't really need to expand well, the hockey. And, and, but I'm just thinking more of like taking it to market. Uh, mm-hmm. The first part of that sure. equation, yeah, yeah, taking yeah, it yeah, to market. Yeah. I just, you know, and the Frozen Four does have its niche audience that I think do care and would. You know, that possibly just because it's one of the big four sports in general. Mm-hmm. But I think they could certainly take women's basketball, see what you could get. Baseball, softball, I think, could probably get something. I mean, one time CBS used to have the baseball. So there's some stuff there I think that could come into play. Um, but overall, I think they probably still need to have a package together mm-hmm. uh, and then slow roll that out. But I'm not, There will I, need I to be some that sports idea. that are still lumped together, for sure. But I think there are more opportunities to piece out some of the more attractive championships. Yeah, I, I think you could get a pretty dollar for women's basketball, baseball, and even softball. I think you could get those. And I'm, I, after that, I think you could probably go hockey and then volleyball in that order. And I think you could get something other than just the generic, here it is. Also, it's not necessarily as expensive to expand, say, the wrestling tournament or the track and field tournament as it would be baseball, softball, hockey tournament, the FCS playoffs would be very cost intensive to expand track might not be so you might be able to do that without necessarily a ton of overhead you just have to account for you just have more teams going to a regional is all that is yeah or that's golf all it is. or, or tennis or whatever yeah and that's that's super easy all right one more here on say what why do you think the teams in the division are farther ahead at this point quarterback the truth is that this is a quarterback driven league and if you look at the teams that have been able to sustain success, they've been able to build it around a specific quarterback. You chose the quarterback here, though, so do you have any regrets about that, or how do you... No, I got no regrets about their quarterback. I think our quarterback has done some good things. There's been a couple of games that he struggled, and he was okay. Look at his numbers he's had throughout the year. There was a time he was, you know, um, very solid, and then, um, un- you know, we had the unfortunate Philadelphia game, and he struggled a little bit in the Dallas game, but the way he performed yesterday, it just shows you what he's capable of. And, you know, we chose him because we believe him. We chose him because we looked at what we felt were, were, were things that pointed towards him. That is Ron Rivera, the head Ronnie. coach of the Washington Commanders, asked why he thinks other NFC East teams are ahead of them in rebuild. And he says, quarterback. And then he starts to backpedal. Well, I mean, he's got a new. I mean, in fairness, you know, a couple of those guys. To be fun. A couple of those guys have been in the same job for at least a little longer than Wentz, right? They have, for Her- sure. Hertz has been in there. It's the second year. Um, Jones is in the second year. Uh, Dallas always seems to have another guy besides Dax in there at mm-hmm. all times. But Dallas's defense is by far the best in the NFC East. So, um, and they, they didn't have much turnover in Dallas. I mean, still the key mm-hmm. players. So I think new quarterback, you know, what's this, year two for Rivera? Or year yeah, three? this is year uh, year. I think it's year three. Yeah, I think it is, too. Year three. But first we went, so got to get going. But truth is, he didn't say anything earth-shattering. No. The, the the quarterback is what is the biggest thing in the NFL. Yes. And relative to Dak and Hurts, the commanders are probably a little bit behind them with Carson Wentz. Yeah, I, I didn't have a huge I, – I get why he needed to backtrack. I get why they – He definitely they, backtracked Why they asked the question um, – but he 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 answered it, which I always enjoyed about old Riverboat Ron. Was he answered it honestly? Mm-hmm. He gave you know you asked a question, he gave an honest answer, and and I it, like the follow up question. You chose your quarterback, so does is does that something? Is that you do you regret that decision? He said no, not at all. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, I, think it's a, he, I think it's a fair question and answer. And I think, I think he answer. made a fair critique of he's had games where we weren't like, mm, and we've had games where, hey, look at that. It's what we could be. So, yep. to me, that just says they've not played that many games together. They're trying to get it, you know, figured out. And I kind of enjoyed Ron there. I know he had to come out and apologize to Carson Wentz, which I didn't think he had to. Unless Carson Wentz, uh, and you know, maybe him more than me, oh, needed buddy. an apology. Oh, buddy. I don't – I wouldn't have did it. I would have just gone behind closed doors and say, look, man, I mean, what do you think the difference is in the last several teams that won a Super Bowl? Quarterback. Well, let's go win one together. That's what I would say. And again, this, that's the show. Tomorrow on the show, lots of Mercer preview, SoCon preview, Pick lots six. of stuff going on. Pick, Pick six. six as well. Pick six as well. And bold predictions. On the Jay and Keith Show. All right. We'll be back with you. A big thanks, uh, Matt Brown. Appreciate him uh, Matt's stopping great. by. Always good to have him on. All right. Next week, we're going to try to talk to some players. How about that? Something new. We always add new stuff. Let's All right. do it. Jay and Keith tomorrow. Buccaneers Network. <laughs>